behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has Carl. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? You know it's going to be a good podcast, Viv, when uh, you're scrambling for content and then in drops an unsolicited image uh, into your DMs. This time it looks like it's what the ARN uh, network might have planned for The Edge. But before we get into that, I just heard a glass smash. Firstly, I'm glad that you've clarified what this unsolicited image in your DMs was. I really wasn't sure (laughs) where that was going and wasn't quite ready to wrap up my week uh, with news about a dick pic. Secondly, yes, I have just... uh, As someone who's chronically dehydrated, I thought I'll get a nice glass of water for this podcast and I have haphazardly smashed it everywhere right as we've kicked off. So things are going well. You've got unsolicited pics and I am sopping wet. All right, I'll share that pic with you right now, actually. This week on That's Entertainment, radio ratings, they're back. Turbulence across the country in Survey 1 leaked ARN's The Edge to become Cater. Question mark over that. And hot take of the week, uh, why musicians are saying no to charity gigs. If you have spent most of the day being Thursday poring over the uh, data, the first uh, radio ratings of 2022, Survey 1, I'm just looking through your coverage here. And uh, my first question to you as someone who's spent hours poring over all these numbers is uh, who's the big winner and who is the big loser today? As you know, with radio ratings, Jake, everybody is a winner in their own eyes and you can cut it anyway to make your competitors uh, a loser. I think that the good thing about this survey uh, for music-based stations is that summer listening habits have kind of kept on track uh, with that drift to FM and and music-based stations. Nobody was really sure how that would go because... It hasn't been a quiet, slow start to the year in terms of the news cycle. We've got a climate catastrophe. We've got half the country underwater. Some people believe we're on the brink of World War III and and the nuclear apocalypse. So there very well could have been a drift to AM stations as we're still grappling with COVID and borders and apparently a Japanese encephalitis outbreak as well. There was every reason for people to need information from the likes of ABC, 2GB, 3AW. But that also might be why with things like the Triple J Hottest 100 and the fact that people just needed a break that the music stations have, by and large, done quite well this time around. I too have been giving mosquitoes <laughs> the real side eye uh, the past week. Triple J performed uh, well, despite uh, the interest in news with all of those events that you've just mentioned. Uh, in at least three markets, it's up over a point. So from that point, I guess it's a predictable book. Uh, Triple J's Hottest Hot 100 performs so well for the ABC every year. Uh, and this year was no exception, uh, especially given 
the number one song, of course, with uh, Kevin Parker and the Wiggles. It was, uh, by their definition, the biggest, hottest 100 ever. And the great thing about the hottest 100 is that everybody is always sad, mad, and there's always somebody who's equally happy and ecstatic and believes that everybody who's sad and mad uh, is just wishing for the days gone by when they were cool and young. It's the same discussion every year, no matter who wins. It's such a talking point on social media, at barbecues, all over the place. Everybody uh, has their hot take on the hottest 100. So it's no surprise that Triple J has gone up in every single market except uh, Brisbane. So book one is often a a good book for Triple J, but they're certainly not the only uh, music stations who, who had a good book across the country. Just having a look at uh, ARN's numbers here, obviously a great performance in Sydney with the number one and the number two FM uh, in KISS uh, and uh, WS. Correct. But KISS is overall on uh, on FM, number one. Yeah, so it's probably no surprise that uh, Kyle and Jackie O are the number one FM breakfast and in turn uh, KISS is the number one FM station. Interestingly, Will and Woody is also now the number one FM drive show in Sydney, but it's been a really big news cycle for Kyle and Jackie O this survey. They've managed to get in the headlines quite a lot, uh, whether it's uh, Kyle's massive, uh, you know, gender reveal and, and baby announcement that was turned into a giant activation and a headline grabber for, for Kiss and for that team. What do you think when you hear this? We all know what that is. That's I'm having hard. a baby back <laughs> They've made sure they're really across every big news story. Uh, I just I don't think a day has gone by where I haven't seen a headline about either something that Jackie has said or some mild, uh, by his standards, controversy that Kyle has caused. I think they've done a really good job at, at the top of this year on just being associated with every single news story, whether it's the death of Shane Warne, whether it's Kyle's personal news, whether it's uh, the political hot take of the day. I'm surprised the Daily Mail don't have a dedicated uh, K&J reporter at this point. Uh, while it was good in Sydney and also in Perth with 96FM uh, going number one, wasn't the best book for ARN in Brisbane and Adelaide? So speaking of that brand recognition that Sydney's KISS station really benefited benefits from. I suspect the opposite has happened in Brisbane for its station, which is part of the KISS network. It has been known for a long time as just 97.3, you know, the the station's call signal. It hasn't had a standalone name. You tune into 97.3 and that's both the number and the name. At some point recently, they introduced KISS in front of that, but didn't fully commit to that, sort of kept the 97.3 branding in there which along with the change in Breakfast Show, bringing across Kip from Nova and losing Bob Gallagher, could just be leading to some brand confusion there. It's a really tight race in Brisbane. We've had B105 be number one before. We've had Nova be number one a lot. You've had 4KQ, uh, ARN's AM station that they're trying to sell off at the moment, be number one. 
it's often a really tight race and I think any change, any disruption, any confusion for consumers filling out that survey, they might sort of see KISS and and that name and that moniker and not necessarily associate it with that legacy brand that they tune into and that they're familiar with. Right. I mean, it's all about recall, of course. Uh, it's a bit of a head-scratcher for me, the idea of adding KISS to 973, which, as you say, is a heritage brand in the market. We've seen other networks uh, do that and fail miserably uh, for that exact reason. I think from a network sales perspective, you can still sell it as the KISS network. The station doesn't have to be called KISS, which leads me to think that it's being done more from, a, I guess, a content perspective and what their plans might be as a network more broadly. I think consistency is really difficult here because Nova has such a great advantage where it's just consistently branded across the country and there's no confusion. They've got different shows, you know, Nathan, Nat and Sean, really dominant in breakfast on Nova in Perth. You've got Ben and Liam on Nova in Adelaide. Kate, Tim and Joel are just united across the country. Kate, Tim and Joel in drive on Nova. The other networks don't have the benefit of that consistency and the hit network has really suffered for that when they rebranded everything got rid of legacy names such as b105 in brisbane and safm in adelaide and chief content officer dave cameron has admitted quite a few times that they are still paying for that confusion and almost that anger in the market for getting rid of legacy brands that consumers uh, connected and, and resonated with But then when you rebrand back, there's a whole other level of confusion. So I'm not not quite sure what has motivated this move on ARN's part. And I think that's why they've also stuck with the 97.3. They're trying to have the best of both worlds. They want the cool association of KISS uh, that they have in Sydney and, and perhaps the consistency of Kyle and Jackie O, the ease of selling it, the ease of syndicating content, the ease of doing uh, collaborations online. But then it does confuse consumers who don't really care about how you sell your product to brands. They don't really care about national bundle deals. They just care about the fact that they grew up with 97.3 and they don't know what a kiss with two eyes is. You did mention Southern Cross Austereo's uh, Dave Cameron there, the Chief Content Officer at SCA. Uh, was this a better book uh, for the Hit Network and the Triple M Network coming off the back of a pretty average run last year? It's a really mixed bag for SCA. So a former programmer that I spoke to earlier this week did actually predict that SA FM, which is the hit network station in Adelaide, would have a better book this time around. And they did. They they were a station that went up in Adelaide. Triple M, though, in, in the same market was down 1.5 share points. Uh, Triple M in Sydney, similarly, seems to be in uh, what you could call a, a bit of a pickle. As, as you know, Jake, it's breakfast show lost uh, Lawrence Moonman Mooney very abruptly and there's ongoing legal action between him and his former employer. So they're now really struggling in their breakfast slot. I think they've got like a, a 3.6% share there or something. And, and Sydney breakfast on Today FM with uh, the morning crew, whilst it's gone up, is still only on a 3.3% share, which lags behind Today FM's overall 4.2. And whilst anything up is good, an increase is better than stagnation or a decrease, you still have there a breakfast show that is lagging behind the overall station average. It's under-indexing, which means people are tuning into Today FM 
not for the talent, not for that program. They're tuning into other day parts and other day parts, which are far cheaper, are bringing in more listeners than that, uh, than that morning crew. Were there any other uh, surprises or shocking revelations or hidden headlines from today's survey? There are always uh, hidden headlines, sometimes ones that hit me, uh, you know, a a week later. There is just so much Mm. data that that comes out at once. You always uh, miss something. It's really hard to identify trends in survey one. Uh, As I've said, the, the summer listening habits are quite different from the rest of the year. It's not a rolling survey. So trends will emerge later in this year. And I think the trends that we really need to keep an eye on are that of Triple M and the HIT network because as you say the two SCA networks have had a really rough run there's ongoing legal action there's ongoing speculation about Today FM and the fact that it's starting to skew quite a bit older with its music strategy which is a deliberate choice by them to try and sit above uh, the likes of Kiss and Nova but slightly below WSFM and Smooth So we need to see if that will pay off, if that will reach that over 35s audience and then also what's going to happen with with Triple M with with so much change. All right, still to come on That's Entertainment, our hot take of the week, why musicians are saying no to charity gigs. But up next, leaked, is the ARN's The Edge about to become Cater? By now, you should have received that uh, that image that I've sent you, which looks to be a new website for ARN's The Edge, uh, rebranded to Cater. It also reveals a little bit of its lineup. This kind of reminds me of uh, when the Kiss branding leaked uh, on Mumbrella ahead of its rebrand and the official announced that K&J were joining uh, the station. Yes, that was an instance of uh, an agency with uh, street-facing windows and uh, lots of planning and, and images uh, stuck up on walls and it caused such a debate at the time about whether that was uh, irresponsible on the part of the agency for being so flippant with privacy and commercial and confidence information or whether it was a bit of a deliberate strategy and, you know, if people find out, then people find out and, and hype is hype. So I'm always sceptical when things like this leak, whether I'm going to uh, bring uh, the angry wrath of an entire organisation against us or whether we're accidentally playing right into their playbook. In this uh, instance, I'm not I'm not sure. What do you think? I, I'm not sure either. All I know <laughs> is we are days away from April 1, being April Fool's Day, of course. Uh, So we shall tread carefully. What we can see, though, is a very diverse-looking lineup uh, across... uh Across the workday, uh, Flex and Frooms, uh, keeping up with uh, Abnesha, uh, Kane and Yaz are on there. B-Wise uh, is there as well. Uh, it looks pretty hip. There's also a, a website, cater.com.au, that uh, at the moment just sort of has the logo uh, rolling through in different colours as you scroll down. If you check the uh, IP uh, trademark register of um, for Australia... ARN has also applied for the trademark for Cater. It hasn't actually gone through yet, but there's definitely something in the works. But companies like this can register all sorts of names. It's not that hard. Often you bank up names and ideas. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, but this does remind me of the time that I was tipped off 
that SCA was about to launch Listener and I had the trademark and I had all these things and I was talked off the edge that that I was wrong and had the incorrect information and then Listener launched. So it does feel a bit like that, that all the things that are pointing in that direction, there is a website, there is a trademark application, you've seen a photo of the alleged lineup. Uh, but we just we just don't know. We don't even know how to pronounce Kada well, at this stage. <laughs> that's right. This is the thing. You know, whenever there's a rebrand and the first conversation is about how do you pronounce it, uh, it always makes me slightly nervous. C A D A. For me, that's Kada. I'd say so. But when I googled it, it's a it's a Spanish word that means every. Uh, so I, I imagine that the Spanish aren't working around saying Kada. I imagine there's some far more sophisticated inflection on the word. So uh, come launch uh, later in the, the year, should should it be Cater? I'll be interested to see how they actually brand it, pre- position it and pronounce it. What we are hearing is that this will replace uh, the Edge in Sydney, but also become a national uh, dab station as well. And really, uh, you know, targeting the Triple J, but more so the youth audience uh, across the country. Yeah, it seems like quite a few people are going after the youths in radio, which is interesting because there's been such a, a dialogue about how it's an it's an ageing medium. Mm. Today FM, as I said earlier, which used to skew quite young, has decided it just can't compete in that space anymore and it needs to go for the over 35s before it was sort of going for the over 30s and before that it was even younger. So perhaps that has opened up a bit of a space where some of the other radio networks are thinking there's too much noise and too much clutter at at the top end of the age spectrum and not enough on that lower end. So we know that uh, SCA and Listener have launched their 24-7 R&B Fridays digital station, which I think will be a really interesting mix because that's got a real nostalgia associated with it for people who are my age, uh, like mid-30s, early 30s. But then I think it will try and hook in. Don't smirk, I am (laughs) early 30s. (laughs) I saw that face. I don't turn 33 for another two weeks, so that Uh is early 30s. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think R&B Fridays could could get people my age but could also be going after that younger crowd. So while there's all this noise in the space with Cater, with Triple J and the Hottest 100, with R&B Fridays, it will be interesting to see if these younger people do switch on the radio and engage with it. What, what Cater has, uh, which uh, R&B Fridays doesn't have, is a terrestrial FM licence, of course, which I think, pardon the pun, gives it an edge. Uh, in terms of you know what ARN's done in the lead-up to this, there have been some pretty key hires from within the music industry and, and even from uh, Triple J. There, there was talks that when Gemma Pike left uh, ABC that she was going to go across, but it turns out she went to Apple. But they've hired some pretty heavy hitters and, and people very familiar to those working in the music industry to really spear had this uh, from ARNHQ? Yeah, so they've been hinting for quite a while that they are going to transform the edge and they've been very sort of non-specific about that but saying that there are exciting things in the works. So just over six months ago, they hired uh, Emily Copeland, who has a long and storied history with FBI radio, both on the board and as its uh, acting general manager at various points. And they said that that would inject some fresh strategic energy into the brand. 
she then went on to hire music industry veterans Marty Doyle as head of content and Andy Walsh as head of commercial strategy. So when that all came together and then Mikey and Emma departed and popped up over at Listener, it was clear that they had more in mind than just sort of revamping the station. It, it almost seems like they've sort of torn it down and are going to completely start again. That's entertainment's hot take. Right, let's dive into it. Quite a, uh, a prominent manager by the name of Andrew Stone put up a, an Instagram story uh, last week. He manages Lime Cordial and Shepherd and a bunch of other great Australian acts and it said... Not too keen to play at your charity event for free, thanks. Much love. Uh, I did notice that that Insta story disappeared pretty quickly, uh, which is not that surprising. I see people in the music industry do that all the time. Uh, But what it does raise is a really good point around uh, charity gigs, especially those uh, where there is funding and, you know, the lighting people are getting paid and the door people are getting paid. Everyone's getting fucking paid but the musicians themselves. And whenever there's a crisis or a tragedy or any sort of devastation, musicians are often the first ones that get the call to come in and help raise money. Uh, But I think the buck's got to stop somewhere. It's such an interesting conundrum because musicians are just so willing to help and they also love any chance to perform and be in front of a crowd. And if you can do that whilst helping people who've been through something terrible, it's it's hard to resist that call. When these uh, latest environmental catastrophes started kicking off, one of the first things I thought uh, when it comes to then the media narrative of this, uh, you know, was, God, can we just not ask the public and the musicians to fucking fix this crisis? I think it's so fantastic how communities come together. I think it's so fantastic that in the complete absence of government action and government control, other people take action, other people take control. But we already pay taxes. We already do things that are giving money to the government for emergency relief funds that should have automatically been going to Lismore. There should have been more action straight away for Brisbane. There should have been mitigation strategies in place. There should have been an immediate uh, national disaster declared. Instead, there was this absolute void of action, this absolute void of certainty. So other people step up, other organisations step up. There's nothing... Uh, insidious about what these people are doing. They're trying to do the right thing. But it is really, really frustrating when we have a government, we have taxes, we have things that should already be taking care of this. We already had the musicians step up and help out during the catastrophic bushfires with Firefight Australia. I was there. It was a great day. It was right before the world went to shit with COVID. There's always a great vibe at those events. You feel really good about it. The musicians make you feel really good about it. You raise heaps of money. But it just feels really unfair that once again it's consumers and musicians who are doing these things to help these people in crisis instead of the government. And in the case of musicians this time around, they're also doing it after two years of not really being able to make money themselves. So once again they're doing more than the government is. They're they're probably doing it for free. And 
it sort of gives the government and other organisations a get-out-of-jail-free card because the Red Cross and the likes of Jimmy Barnes and Delta Goodrum and Guy Sebastian and Tones and I and Kate Miller-Heidkey and the communities of these areas are the ones doing the hard work, raising the money and fixing the crisis. Some of those artists uh, that you mentioned can probably afford to go and do these gigs for free, but there's many levels of tiers of Australian artists uh, and plenty are being asked to go and play these events for free uh, under the guise of promotion or you know helping the community, whatever it might be, who, like you say, haven't worked for two years. They don't make money from their Spotify streams. They make money from touring the country and going into regional markets and making a few hundred bucks here and there. Uh, so it's a big ask. It's a really big ask, uh, particularly because one of the regions that is struggling so much at the moment is the Northern Rivers uh, region of New South Wales. And so many musicians and creatives are from that area. I know a lot of people in Sydney, you know, like to joke that it's the anti-vax capital of... uh, of Australia and there's a lot of uh, speculation that part of the reason the government has been so hopeless with taking action here, a very cynical view, is that there's an upcoming election and it's a very left-leaning hippie area, so so why would they bother? I mean, I really hope that's not true, but I know that's the sentiment of some people who feel abandoned on the ground. So there's a lot of creatives there, there's a lot of musicians there, and instead of making money now that things have opened back up, they've either lost their homes or they've lost their families' homes and they're the ones showing up in kayaks and boats and and saving people from their roofs instead of the government. They're the ones who are now helping with the clean-up. And so we've we've got this situation where, once again, these lower-tier artists who might not have the profile of the likes of uh, Guy Sebastian and, and Tones and I are sort of mucking in quite literally to, to fix the crisis. And then we've got the higher-end artists mucking in to, to raise money. And it just doesn't feel like a, a very fair system. And I love the fact that artists are always so willing to help. But it's really, really frustrating that, I mean, how many times are we going to have a crisis that the bloody musicians have to solve? And a lot of musicians don't want to come out and say no to these things either, right? Uh, So I think the managers have a responsibility to do so, and some definitely do, uh, and others are probably a little bit more lenient. Maybe we should launch a a good old change.org petition on the Music Network. No pay, no play. Australia unites. Red Cross flood appeal. Look, it's it's really difficult ethically to even discuss this because, you know, I borderline feel like a monster raging about uh, these people who are actually doing something very kind and very generous and helping people who are in desperate, desperate need of help. So I can totally sympathise with artists and even managers who don't want to come out and say, hell no, I'm not going to play at Australia Unites Red Cross Flood Appeal because as much as they might have the moral high ground, they're going to look... Uh, they're going to look like Scott Morrison. They're going to look like they don't care and they're going to look like <laughs> monsters. And nobody wants to look like Scott Morrison and look like a monster. So it's it's such a dif- difficult balancing act and it would perhaps be better if we could find a balance where the artists are doing the right thing but are being co- correctly rewarded and if we had a situation where the government was doing its job so it didn't feel like it was falling on everyday people to to donate and to fix this crisis and and to step up and do things for free. Yeah, you raise a good point. I think if somebody's getting paid, everybody has to get paid. If everybody's working for free uh, behind the scenes, then perhaps that's a different story. 
Yeah, and, and again, if the government was doing something, it would be it would be a, a different story. But I just know the sentiment in these areas, they just feel so abandoned. They feel so hard done by, and I'm sure they will be grateful for any money and any assistance that they can get from the Red Cross and from these artists and from the three commercial free-to-air uh, TV networks that are supporting it. But they do need more than a concert. They do need more than... than uh, money from from consumers and I think these things are always so so well intentioned but it can then make people who are really removed from the crisis such as us sitting in Sydney feel like oh well that's that's over now you know we, we've raised the money we've we've paid money to go to firefight or we've called up uh, this this appeal in watching uh, these Aussie music legends unite for a great cause but actually this is going to take years and years and years to fix. But by then the musicians will be doing another concert for the next round of bushfires or for the next tsunami or for the next crisis that we face. It's just, it's just never ending. And I think they probably want to get back to, to paid gigs and, and stop doing the, the heavy lifting here. You're listening, ScoMo. <laughs> uh, I'm most nervous about mosquitoes right now. To be, <laughs> I've moved well, on from COVID. You, you should be. Uh, you should be nervous. <laughs> That will be the next benefit concert, uh, Japanese encephalitis, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, you, I, all I can say is up there in Queensland, uh, you, sh- you should be nervous about everything all the time. <laughs> all the one with a problematic premiere. Uh, <laughs> that's it for this week of That's Entertainment. Hopefully we've entertained you. Any final words, Viv? Uh, look, I am just looking forward to the next uh, photo you send me of that snake trying to uh, break into your house. I've really enjoyed its, its efforts to get in oh, there and to join you in yeah. the podcast studio. It did. It wrapped its green tree snake, uh, which I tried to wrangle out to the back garden, but made its way into the office, up my desk and wrapped around my uh, road podcasting mic in the jig. Well, in the next few weeks, you never know, I might have a new a new co-host. Uh, instead of Jake the snake, I'll have an actual snake. <laughs> See you next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.